I'm Kathleen Stock. And I'm Julie Bindle. And this is the Lesbian Project podcast. All the sapphic traffic. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so sorry. Sapphic traffic. It's too embarrassing. It's too embarrassing. Oh, I'm sweating. Right, okay, I'm going to do this properly, right? All the sapphic traffic for anyone who wants a bit more lesbian in their life. We are delighted to have a guest with us today. Uh, we have Lucy Masood uh, joining us from wherever you live. Tooting, which you don't somewhere. Need to tell us tooting. Excellent. Somewhere in deep South London where you should have to have a passport to get to. Where Julie Bindle's never been because she refuses to travel that south. And because your cooking is so bad. Hello, Lucy. Oh. It's so good <laughs> to have you on the show. Yeah, we're and delighted actually, you could join us. And we're delighted, bearing in mind you've just sat there for 10 minutes while mm. Kathleen and I have been technically challenged trying to get it's this been Zoom working. extremely oh. embarrassing. Um, you'll just have to pretend you never saw all that. I, I, I won't say a word to anyone in any WhatsApp group. <laughs> are you Are you currently doing your spin class as you talk to us? Is that no, true? No, I, 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 I forego it uh, for, for the podcast today. My Peloton bike's next door, so I was going to just oh. do it in my bedroom. You and Rishi with your Pelotons. Oh, so you got one as well? Yeah, I think so. Have you oh. got one of those coffee cups that get that are heated to the perfect temperature as you drink no. it throughout the morning? <clears throat> I don't drink coffee. I've got um I've got a beaker for my Yazoo chocolate milkshake. But that doesn't need heating. Oh, you're such a child. Honestly. <laughs> Although that does sound really nice. What would you have that with? Would you have that with one of your famous cheese toasties that you make with Monster Munch in the air fryer? <laughs> Don't come for my air fryer this early in the morning, Bindle. I won't have it. I love my air fryer. Kathleen, do you have an air fryer? I, I do not, although that's a bit difficult to admit to because my mum gave me some money for one about a year ago. and I've never admitted I never got it. But um, so sorry, mum. But it, it's just a tiny oven. In it, no, that's no, what it no, is. No, it's a tiny no, oven. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but it is it's a game changer. <laughs> you can call an oven an air fryer, can't you? I mean, it fries no. things with air, but you can't it boil doesn't. an egg in an oven. You can in an air fryer. Oh god, that, no, that's that's fryer. no. You've gone too far. It works really well. It works okay. really well. Well, all right. Maybe I'll look into it. I just What's thought this? I just don't need another bit of kit that will sit on my counter, gathering dust, never being used. Along with all the other things I brought into okay. at the time. But before we get on to leatherism, I just will say one more thing for the air fryer. If you've got some leftover onion barges or crab mm. cakes or anything of that sort, the air fryer will cook it as though it, you've just got it home from Deliveroo that second. Am I right, Lucy? Yeah, and with the Monster Munch cheese toasty <laughs> it doesn't need to be monster munch it can also be beef flavored hula hoops as well you just crush oh, them up oh, in the oh. packet <laughs> you coat the bread with mayonnaise and then coat oh. it with the monster munch bang in the air fryer it's luscious Dear god i okay. do hope that our listeners and viewers are further into the day than we are now listening to this <laughs> let's leather come on lucy yes let's leather Um, so, well, why did we invite Lucy to be a guest? Because she's just so such an iconic les, basically, isn't she? She certainly is. And, I mean, we've known each other for quite some time, haven't we? And you're one of our precious advisors on the Lesbian Project. But mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about your coming out story, if you would, Lucy. I've never heard this. 
Um, not much of a coming out story. I think it was always just assumed that I would be that way before I even knew I was that way. I think my mum told me once that she kind of guessed by the age of four, just by the way I sort of walked and, and waddled along. Um, but no, nothing annoyingly. It wasn't controversial at all. I was, I was quite sort of devastated that I didn't have my moment to, you know, be, you don't accept me, you don't love me. It didn't, it didn't really happen. Um, I guess I was a little bit lucky. Sorry, my cat's just trying to get involved. Um, my mum's a Catholic a practicing Catholic and my dad's a practicing Muslim so mm. there was always the potential for it to go a bit wrong um mm. added to that we we were raised in in Libya we used to go back and forth between Libya and Portsmouth mm-hmm. uh, but 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 mostly um I spent my childhood until I was 16 in Libya and obviously it's quite a conservative country and it's not something you really talked about it just it wasn't something you ever saw for sure it was illegal um but again it 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 wasn't even like I had a negative view of it particularly because it was just something that people didn't really talk about. It just wasn't on, on the agenda at all. Mm-hmm. And then I I started to sort of feel that way inclined about sort of 13, 14, but just didn't really understand what it was because I wasn't able to put two and two together. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting crushes on girls. What does that mean? And then by the time I sort of really figured out um, that I was a lesbian, by that time... I was living in Portsmouth. My parents were still in Libya. I'd, I'd moved to Portsmouth when I was 16 um, and I'd go back and see them for summer holidays, Easter, Christmas holidays. So I think it was about when I was 16 or 17. By that point, I'd, I'd started to have relations with, with girls and get up to mischief. Um, and yeah, I, I just kind of was watching TV with my mum. Something popped up on the TV. Um, I can't even remember what it was. And I just sort of said to my mum, oh, I think I'm gay and she kind of looked at me and was like okay um it's fine I love you anyway it doesn't really matter um I always suspected and that was that um and I was devastated I didn't have my moment oh. I wanted you know I I wanted the full catholic hissy fit to, to, to <laughs> so you were more worried about the catholics than the muslims no you know what <laughs> Honestly, I always knew it would be fine. Um, my parents, I mean, clearly you've got a Muslim and a Catholic both practicing together. Mm. Uh, you know, in a marriage together. <laughs> yeah, my mum, very Western, even though she was living in Libya, would wear what she want, bikini on the beach. We, you know, we were raised to celebrate Christmas. We used to wear what we want. So I always knew, um, although that, that they were religious in their own way, when it came to their children, that was their priority. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't genuinely sort of fearful or worried that it would be a, a massive deal. With my dad, it was it was a bit different. I never, here my cat again. I never told my dad. My mum did, and again, it was it just it just wasn't it it wasn't spoken about for about a year. And by this point, I'd gone back. The holiday was over. I'd gone back to England and I'd shunted off to university. But you know, we, we were sort of talking nineteen ninety six, ninety seven. 98, um, where you just didn't have mobile phones. Um, where I was staying, there wasn't a house phone. So I wasn't really speaking to my parents that much just because there wasn't, you weren't able to, you know, mm. them calling from Libya to me. Mm. I'd maybe talk to them once every couple of weeks, every three weeks, if, if, if we were lucky, because we just couldn't get hold of each other. So by the time I went to university, I knew my dad knew, but we just never had a conversation about it didn't get any sort of negativity from him it was just kind of that thing that we didn't talk about 
in saying that there wasn't really an opportunity to talk about it because they lived in Libya. I lived in England. I was now at university and we, you know, we didn't have that much phone contact. I think it really changed um, in 1999 when, and I've spoken about this before, when I was involved in the Admiral Duncan bombing. Right. And, and a bit about the background to that, if you would, <clears throat> excuse me, Lucy, because it was a, an attack by a neo-Nazi, wasn't it, mm. on a gay pub in Soho? Yeah, and he'd two weeks before he'd 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 put a bomb in Brixton Market, and thankfully it didn't kill anyone. And then the week after he'd put a, a bomb in Brick Lane, and thankfully it didn't kill anyone. Uh, and then the third week he'd he'd, he'd put a bomb in the Apple Duncan Pub in in Compton Street, which did kill three people or four people because one of the victims was 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 heavily pregnant. Um, so my girlfriend at the time worked in the bar. She was behind the bar when the bomb went off in the Apple Duncan. And I worked next door. I worked at an accommodation agency part time whilst I was at university. Um, so we, were, you know, she was very badly injured. I wasn't injured, but it was, it was, you know, it was horrific. <laughs> you can't put it any other way than it was just absolutely horrific. And then my parents were in Libya at the time, but they heard about it on the news. And of course, it's all being streamed live or all being filmed live. And they had Sky TV at the time, and they're tuning in because they're thinking, oh, it's in London. Our daughter's in London, and mm -hmm. they tune in and they see me. Right. in the middle of it um and you know obviously that was yeah that I think that just really changed how my certainly my dad communicated with me about that my sexuality because as soon as he was able to get hold of me first question was are you safe are you well how's your girlfriend is she safe mm -hmm. is she well and that was it since then it's you know it's 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 not an issue I mean it was never an issue anyway it yeah. was just more that slightly uncomfortable elephant in the room for my yeah. you know Muslim dad who just wasn't used to that and to yeah. be honest I think he probably would have had an issue if I'd been straight as well you know? mm. it's a whole you know, different just, set of issues but it's still dads yeah, still care yeah. about that stuff yeah exactly mm. and he's very culturally different he didn't grow up in in, in this country he he's Libyan he's a Muslim and it just you know it, it it just wasn't something he was used to. Mm. Um, but say since since then, which was, you know, 1999, how many ever years ago, it's, yeah. it's absolutely fine. Did that event, if you don't mind me asking, did that massively traumatic event change your own attitude towards your sexuality? As in, did you suddenly feel anything different about it, like threatened or suddenly become um, conscious of something? I wouldn't say I felt threatened. I remember we spent the next sort of couple of days really in hospital because my, my girlfriend was, was quite badly injured. But I remember about three or four days later going back to Compton Street. I had to collect something from the office where I'd been working because I'd left when I heard the bomb go off to go get my girlfriend. And thankfully I was, she'd literally been blown out of the pub. Um, and I, she was the first thing I saw when I, mm. when I came out of my office, thankfully. Um, so I just left some personal belongings in, in my office. So I had to go collect them. I remember coming to Compton Street and someone, I don't know who it was, had pasted hundreds of posters all up and down Compton Street saying, you won't bomb us back into the closet. Mm. I remember just thinking, that's exactly it. Um, they're not going to do that. And uh, I wouldn't say it was, it made me fearful at all. If anything, it just made me more political. Mm. And I think, you know, possibly that leads into how we all feel today mm -hmm. about what what we feel about our lesbian spaces, our gay spaces being sort of taken over or not not existing anymore, just having mm. to protect that. And, you know, that was an attack 
against gays and lesbians. It wasn't yeah. a, an attack against the queer community or right, no. you know a, 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 some kind of gender. That was an attack against gays and lesbians. Yes, yeah, um, yes. And people easily forget that. I mean, we see people forget it on the anniversary. Um, I can't remember ever seeing the Pink News post about it or mm. or Stonewall post about it. And this was, yeah. you know, a, a massively significant thing that happened to our community. Mm. Three people died, four people, if you include um, Andrea Dyke's child, that she, I think she was like eight months pregnant or seven mm. months pregnant. Hugely significant to our community and, and just seems to be forgotten about by, by so-called LGBTQ you know news agencies do you think that's because it doesn't fit into an easy narrative for them i'm not sure um i'm really not sure maybe because it was it was so long ago uh the younger audience just weren't around then you know if, if nah. you know, clearly if, if you but, were I'm, that's but lucy <laughs> but lucy you know um this is a really interesting point because section 28 was in exactly. the 80s <laughs> That was in 1988. And yet the younger ones, the whole gender woo-woos, they will appropriate it and they'll completely misrepresent it and they'll misrepresent what we did um, to to challenge it and to end it. And with the Admiral Duncan atrocity, I mean, I remember going into Soho in order to look at those posters and to, I don't know, just to be there, to see, you know, if there were any survivors around who just needed to talk or, you know, we all wanted to be together, didn't we? I was nowhere near it when it happened. But I don't even see the gender woo-woos appropriating the Admiral Duncan atrocity. It's as though it didn't happen. And I think Kathleen's right. It just doesn't fit with a comfortable narrative of the hatred is against us as same-sex attracted people. Mm. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. And the people who died, were not queer they were not mm. trans they were yeah. two gay men and a straight woman right um and that was widely reported at the time and i would hope that no one would try and appropriate that narrative and try and try and somehow no, no yeah we're not telling any them they three should. of those people <laughs> no um don't give them ideas i think it would be i mean i yeah i don't know i think it's a shame because i say it was a very significant thing um yes. a very unfortunate thing that happened to our community um, if anything it did to an extent bring our community close together i remember almost a i think it was a year or just over a year uh, on pride when they reopened the admiral duncan or, or just a couple of days before pride and this was when pride actually meant something yes. and they, they they reopened the admiral duncan and it was a massive you know a, a, a massive event when I went down there I wasn't with my girlfriend at the time we, we'd broken up by then but I went down there she like she was there she she'd recovered by then she was working back in the pub as were the other people um, mm. um who, who worked there w- w- um, when the bomb went off and there was thousands of people who came to sort of celebrate that we were able to reopen this pub and and mm. and say to people, we're not going anywhere. You're not going to bomb us back into the closet. Mm. And so there was a real sense of community and coming together, um, which clearly we don't have anymore. I've I've, I've never known our community to be so, um, so kind of conflicted and so much hostility and so divided. Mm. Well, and the problem yeah. being, of course, that there's about fifteen different categories that have joined the so-called community. That are neither lesbian or gay. Well, yeah, I, I I can't remember who said it, but someone said anything right of the LGB 
right? Yeah, anything right of the LGB is straight men. Yeah. Um, and and that has to be right. I mean, we see well, it. Or asexual women. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or straight women. Remember, we've got about... very close friends oh. who are asexual. Yeah, yeah, we've got to stop going <laughs> about asexuals. It's going to sound persecutory. Um, but I also think it's like the idea of a community has changed. So um, back then, I assume like, there was a physical place people were going to and there wasn't the internet. So you couldn't, as you've just described, you couldn't easily communicate except by meeting people face to face. Now the idea of an online community, that's just a contradiction in terms. It's just a random bunch of people mm. uh, shouting at each other who haven't got anything else in common except maybe an identity label or something like that. So I feel like communities change as well as everything else. Well, absolutely. I mean, the online community, certainly with dating apps, in a way it's it's helped some people, I guess, especially lesbians. I always felt as a lesbian, I found it a bit harder to meet people uh, for dating than my mm. gay male friends who were just out shagging all the time um, because they just had more bars and more bushes mm. and you know <laughs> whatever it takes Whereas... less standard fewer standards <laughs> um, so in a way the online dating's helped but you know at the same time more people are staying at home now they don't feel the need to necessarily go to these places so when I first moved to London in 97 you had uh, candy bar which yeah had its issues, but you know it was it was a, mm. a, a venue that was open seven days a week and was very very busy. Uh, you had first out, you had the Vespa mm. Lounge, you had I I remember there was three lesbian bars in, um, in Stoke Newington. There was the what Angel, about the Angel? Stoke, yeah, mm. and then in Stoke Newington you had uh, down south you had the Blush Bar, then another bar like all, all along that same road. You had them all mm. over the place. And now they just don't exist. You've got the she bar in Soho, as I call it, the flea bar, which isn't a lesbian bar because there's men in there, um, often men. And I kind of think back to when I would occasionally go into the candy bar. It wasn't really a place that I particularly enjoyed, but my, my best friend used to work there. So I'd finish work and I'd, I'd, I'd pop in and see her. Mm. Um, and occasionally you would get men in there. Um, I remember taking my friend in there who was a straight man. The difference was these men, it was it was very clear that you are here as a guest. Right. You are here as an invited guest. You are not a lesbian. Yeah. You are not a woman. You're never going to be accepted that way. I even remember um, someone I knew called Tasha, who was a trans woman coming in um, a number of times. But again, it was understood. You are, a, you are not a lesbian. You are mm. not a woman. You are here as an invited guest. So it's mm. a very different atmosphere. There was no one kind of banging their um banging their heels demanding to be accepted when they had mm. no uh, right to be accepted um, and it was very much a lesbian space a female space which you just don't have now in so-called lesbian spaces i mean having recently gone back on dating apps because i'm recently single uh yeah i mean it's it's atrocious uh, it's it's i can't think of any other word but it's it's utterly atrocious it is just just either couples wanting a third or it's just men in dresses or well, hang on a minute lesbians are doing that thing of wanting to bring no in a... no no straights right okay that's straights, a relief yes. yes so hang on um, so a straight you'll have to forgive my naivety <laughs> i haven't been on a first date for 36 years and i've never used a dating app so i'm a complete and utter 
ignoramus when it comes to this. So you've got these couples, heterosexual couples, on a lesbian dating app. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that their preference for dating is what? They uh, want ex- someone to join exploring them. Exploring or mm-hmm. curious right. or... Right. Is it all... Is it all um, dating apps or do they cluster on particular ones? Like I used to use Plenty of Fish and there seemed to be a lot of them there. They are... <laughs> I don't so know why I it's called Plenty of Fish. It's a I think the main ones are Hinge and Tinder. That's been around for ages. You've got the Her app. The Her app, which is... Hinge and, and, and Tinder and Plenty of Fish and OkCupid, there's a few of them. They They cater for gays lesbians and heterosexuals you just pick which mm. sex mm. you're seeking her is is specifically for women seeking women the difference the thing with her is it's oh I, I don't know who it's owned by but it's it's some degenerate in america and it's it's the worst of them all because they <laughs> actively try and recruit uh men in dresses men in heels oh. men in tights why um, why and and oh, at one point, as part of their app, they were kind of hosting uh, webinars and like the subject of the webinar would pop up and it would be anal sex and butt plugs. And it's like just this just, just disgustingness that you wouldn't necessarily expect on a mm. on a lesbian um, app, because actually, clearly, it's not aimed at real lesbians. Mm. It's mm. aimed at men. Mm. Um, Fetishists. So, Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd expect most lesbians to avoid her um, and instead use Hinge. But then, of course, as we know, I got banned for life. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't you I'm, get I'm, I'm back on it on the sneaky. Tell us. Sneaky, Tell us the entire story. Come on. Well, I was recently, I mean, this was a good few years ago. So I think it was like 2021, 20, I think. Um, so I'd, I was recently single, went on Hinge. And Hinge is meant to be a, you know, the bit more of a sophisticated dating app. And, you know, rather than it just being very kind of about just looking at people's photos and fancying them and swiping right, which means you like them, swiping left means you don't. It's It encourages you more to look at their interests and find out a bit more about that bollocks that no one's really interested mm-hmm. in, but they pretend. So I'd set up a profile Um had some pictures just of me looking a bit stupid on a beach with a cocktail, my sunglasses, just, you know, normal pictures. You're always on and, a beach with a cocktail. I mean, to be well, honest, that is you. Well, quite, quite. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really have any other pictures to use, but those ones of me on a beach looking gormless. Yeah. But with Hinge, um, it kind of self-generates questions that you're meant to answer. And one of the questions, which then goes on your profile that other people can see. And one of the questions were, don't judge me if and then you had to fill in three things and my answer was um don't did judge, judge me from... well, clearly they did they're bloody bad me. Yeah. um but my answer was don't judge me because of my love of love island because as we yeah. all know i love love island um don't judge me for not for Monster being Munch. annoyed if you're late Something like that. Yeah, there's so um, much to not judge you for, yeah. as it turns out. <laughs> Real Housewives of Miami. <laughs> um, actually, I lie. I think I think the actual question was, um, I am seeking, or something like that. I can't remember. And it was, right. I am seeking someone who won't judge me for my love of Love Island. Oh, okay. Um, someone who won't be late. I don't like people being late. Even though you um, always are. 
I'm always late when I go see you because you never come and see me and you live <laughs> two hours away. And then, and then the third one was um, I'm seeking a biological female. Now, you would think that's not controversial mm-hmm. on an app where I have chosen female seeking female. Anyway, within about 24 hours, I was banned for life. Oh. I got a notification saying I'm banned. And it wasn't because of Love Island? <laughs> I don't think so. It was a decent <laughs> season that year. So I, I don't think it was that. <laughs> but it was that. Um, I think so... you're not the only one I know. That, I think Holly Lawford-Smith was also banned from Hinge. Um for similar reasons, my, my friend outrageous. who's also a lesbian yeah. in Australia. <clears throat> well, thing is, yeah, now you have to use kind of on because a lot of the apps, when they pop up, you will get these stupid handmaidens who will, you know, on their preference, say no swerfs, no turfs. Um, so you kind of in order to not get like banned, no fats, right? no femmes on, on Tinder <laughs> <laughs> or grinder, rather grinder. They say no fats, no femmes. Yeah. They do not. They do yeah, not. They do. But that's that's the point. Like a gay man told me this. He's like, Gay men are the most sexually judgmental people on the planet. They say no fats, no femmes. There's no way they're going to get guilt tripped into sleeping with a trans mm. man because he says right. he's a man. Right. Yeah. Um, Ooh, so, yeah. So why are you not doing it? Right. One of my one one of my best gay male friends on his grinder says he wants someone who's disease free, which Don't which we he all? thinks is yeah, but you know he thinks is is perfectly reasonable. Um, and doesn't understand why anyone has a problem with oh, it. Oh, I see. Well, yeah, I do understand the political context of that. It's probably a bit... Dear tricky. God, please pray for me that that my partner <laughs> never leaves me and that I end up on one of these dating sites. <laughs> oh, I wish because you would, though, because it I'd would be, be really jail. funny to hear your adventures yeah. in on but, Tinder or whatever. But interestingly now, what I'm seeing is, obviously, you can say on Hinge and other apps that, you know, no, no swerfs, no turfs, shoot a turf or whatever, and you, and you don't get banned. But if you say anything like I said, that I was a lesbian seeking biological females, that I would be banned. So now lesbians are having to use kind of code words on their profile. So it's, you know, favourite book, Harry Potter. So, okay, (laughs) So just like really obvious things like that, just to try and let other women know. Oh, by the way, before we start, because I've I've matched with people, started to have a conversation and then the topic comes up. And I'm mm. quite laxed about it. I don't give a shit if someone thinks trans women are women. You know, it's not going to stop me dating them. I just think they're a bit thick. But they can think that. Whereas <laughs> often the other way, I get a block straight away. <laughs> yeah, that's Excellent. fair enough. I'll tell you I what. Think I'm... I'm gonna, I was just going to make a stupid joke, and which I'm not even sure anyone's going to get. But I think they should rename Hinge, given that they've got lots of men in dresses, to Hinge and Bracket. Brilliant. <laughs> That is one of your finest, Kathleen. I remember Hinge and Bracket really well. Let's put something in the show notes about it. Yeah, I'll have to explain to everybody what Hinge and Bracket is. Anyway, yeah. Um, I haven't done online dating for a while, but it was pretty grim even then. But to be fair, right, a lot there were men back when I was doing it, and there were some men who were presenting as women. But there were also some men that just seemed to have checked female by mistake, like literally mm. by mistake. Really? You just couldn't tell. They were they had male yeah. presenting names. They looked clueless, and they were in the lesbian section. Yeah, so... I think I think that's more to do with a. They've either ticked it by mistake or it's an algorithm thing. I think sometimes the apps are trying to be a bit sneaky and just sort just of act like they're not more... bisexual. <laughs> well, no, just 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 kind of present more profiles than they actually right, have. I see. Um, yeah, because if there often... are. Go on, sorry. Well, we'll say because um, often straight women will pop up and, and their profile will be, I'm after a man who does this, that. And you're like, oh. mm. and they clearly mm. don't want to be in the in the lesbian seeking 
Is that because female, the lesbian seeking female. lesbian pool is pretty small? I mean, you you end up seeing the same people across various uh, apps. I seem to remember. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I'm although I'm back on apps now. To be fair, I I hardly use them. I say, um, you know, it's something I just kind of do on a Sunday when I'm a bit bored. Um, but there, there there seems to be quite a a big pool of people. You can change your settings for, you know, geography. So my last relationship, it was a bit of a long distance thing. She didn't live in England, um, not massively so, but it was it was a long distance. So I was kind of keen to ensure that my uh, like area of searching was only five, five miles. But the but my app just ignored that. And I matched with someone in Norway and didn't realise for <laughs> a good couple of days. Brilliant. <laughs> And the next thing you found yourself eating whale meat and <laughs> paying a hundred quid for a portion of cheese. Yeah. Hey, Lucy, I think I dated somebody that dated you. You, you did. Well, this, didn't and we? I saw her. I saw her last Saturday. She came oh, did to you? My, my turf drinks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, but, to be fair and to be accurate, I went on one date with her, but we stayed friends. But um, it wouldn't so be difficult sure to date somebody that Lucy's dated because Lucy <laughs> is a prolific dater. And <laughs> with that in mind, we want to ask you a question, Lucy, which is what is your best date? And of course, what is your worst date? Mm. Oh, there's been so many bad ones. Um, <laughs> They're always more fun. Oh, but okay. oh, you're just putting me on the spot now. Yeah, best, best, as is in best date that's but... actually happened or best date that I would like. I mean, best date that's actually happened. I don't I mean, I'm, when it comes to things like that, I'm quite boring. I'm just happy just to go for a meal, have a few drinks. Yeah, that's and then have thing. a bit of a snog and a bit of a fiddle back back at mine sort of thing. That's, <laughs> that's perfect. I'm, I'm quite simple. Worst <laughs> date. Oh, um, I remember one. Oh, it was with someone who actually ended up working for Stonewall. He, she, we just, we went to go for dinner. We were, well, yeah, so we went for dinner. We met each other. We already kind of knew each other, but we met each other at, at the restaurant. And then she said, oh, I've already eaten. What? And it was like, I, I know, and, and the thing is, by then I'd, I'd already had a, a, a drink. And you know, Julie, I'm, I'm not a big drinker at all. I really don't drink that much. Um, so because she'd eaten, I wasn't going to sit in a restaurant it was, it was kind of like a restaurant bar. I wasn't going to sit in a restaurant and order dinner and eat it while she was there. So I was like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry. You know, I won't eat either. Um, and then proceeded to have about four cocktails oh, and then dear. proceeded to have about four more. And then somehow got her back to mine. And then I just spent the rest of the day or the evening with my head in the toilet throwing up. <laughs> where she was kind of outside in the in the living room listening to me. <laughs> I blame her, though. I blame her. me lie my stomach. I blame yeah. her. That's extremely rude. If you're going to meet somebody for food and they've already eaten, it's the height of bad manners. Mm. Well, is it true, though, the rumour that you once had a date with Martina Navratilova, but you had to actually trap her in the boot of your car in order to have that date, which only lasted a car journey to Wimbledon? Is that a rumour that can be substantiated in any way? She's actually still in the boot of my car. <laughs> Let I'll her out. The window she's our patron. Try. She's our patron. We need her. Um, no, you, you that I was, to meet her, didn't you? I was generous enough. We went out for dinner. You were you were kind enough to in, in, invite me um, to dinner in Kensington. We had a lovely meal. Martina comes along. It was it was mid Wimbledon as well, so you can just imagine the excitement in the restaurant when when Martina walks in with a little dog in the bag. 
Um, we had a lovely evening and then I live in lovely Tooting. She lives in Wimbledon, which is up the road. So I generously offered to give her a lift home and it was a lovely lift. And now she's in the boot of my car, gasping for air. <laughs> terrible, like really. The dog. Oh, the dog's safe and sound. <laughs> <laughs> so Lucy, do you, um, I take it from what you said that you're on the market at the moment. Um, do you, not that I'm about to like come on to you. I'm going to suggest that would you be happy if like anyone listening to this that was interested got in touch with us to and we could act as middle women? We're actually touting now for Lucy's new. Uh, I mean, she's not very excited about it, to be fair. She's looking horrible. Anyone listening to this podcast is going to be questionable. <laughs> so I'm not sure. Well, oh, okay. I'm not sure. I was just thinking um, we could yeah. set up some kind of service for like yeah. special special lesbians in our life, you know, but so, I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest. Well, somebody we know could Bindle know. Is, we know Bindle is top groomer, so you know why? Uh, yeah, oh god, yeah, yeah this could be it's wrongly. It's true. Yeah, it's true. yeah, according to Pink News, all that time ago, I do traffic brides in for young, vulnerable lesbians. All no, the women I'm trafficking in are young, vulnerable mm. lesbians. I now can see safeguarding issues opening up here that I hadn't contemplated. So I, I think we should leave it now. I think we should, it's but I have a question. Idea. I have a question for Lucy. Lucy, you were a firefighter before turning to the law and becoming a family barrister, right? Tell us a little bit about your firefighting days and how you actually got into that profession. It was, I was a firefighter for 12 years in the London Fire Brigade and I left in end of 2018 to start my pupillage at my chambers. And it was something, it was something I kind of always wanted to do. I liked the idea of, of, being a firefighter I like the idea of um of working in the community and also growing up in a very kind of working class uh household um not necessarily thinking that I was going to do that well academically I did get a degree years ago in politics but just just thought that route was 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 a good match for me uh so at the time I'd been traveling through Australia I'd, I'd lived in Australia for a bit I'd come back to England my brother managed to get me a job in a gym where he worked. So I worked there for a bit and was like, oh, I need to, you know, I, I don't want to sort of end up just working in a gym for years and years. I, I felt like I needed to do something else. Applied for the fire brigade. Um, I was lucky in that I applied. And the first time I got in, which um, is quite unusual, most people takes a couple of times, but uh, I was lucky in that I managed to pass all the stages. And it, 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 it's a long process. It took, I think, about a year from the date of me filling out the application to me actually starting. Uh, so it, it took about a year. Then I started, did four months, I think, of training at training school in Southwark, and then got sent to my first fire station, which is just down the road from you, Julie, which is Hornsey Fire Station. I know it well. <clears throat> um, and I had uh, good times working there for about three or four years, four years, I think. And then I transferred to Chelsea and I spent the rest of my career at Chelsea until Grenfell happened. And then shortly after Grenfell, because by that point, I was very involved in my union, in, in the fire brigade union. So by that point, just after Grenfell, I was seconded to work full time um, with the FBU. So for the last year of my uh, career at the fire brigade, I was actually working for the fire brigade union um, as mm-hmm. a senior rep in London. But for the rest of it, I was on station. And whilst I was on station working as a firefighter full time, like I say, I was, I was pretty much working full-time as a union rep as well but then at the same time studying full-time at the bar 
So it was, it was quite a busy time. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and dating. I kinda, yeah, and dating, of course, at the <laughs> same time. I mean, Amazing. when I was doing the bar, um, I had a girlfriend who I was with for about four years and she had two children. So we were a family. Um, so there was kind of, you know, having to deal with family and, mm, and all yeah, the rest yeah, of it. Is, and kind right. of looking back, people say, oh, it must have been really hectic for you. And it, I, I can't remember it being hectic. I just got on with it. And, you know, it was great having children around. And it was, you know, I was in a relationship. I was happy enough. Yes, I was very busy doing various things, but I just cracked on and did it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I got called to the bar in November 2017 and then started my job uh, at, uh, pretty much a year later um, at my current mm-hmm. chambers. But I love being a firefighter. You know, people ask me if I miss it and I do. I miss my colleagues. You know, you're on a station for sort of, you know, 10 to 14 hours, depending on on, on what shifts you're working surrounded by mostly men so on, on my watch I think there was 14 men and me um but you just grow really close to each other you know they they wind you up you actually want to throttle them half the time but equally you love them and you're very close to them and I'm still close with many of them now and mm. uh yeah I love being a firefighter uh, it's so something that I would you, recommend anyone how were you treated as a lesbian were there any issues um not that I not 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 from my colleagues on the fire station um I was someone did try and bully me once and that was a manager when I was at Hornsey fire station and I put a complaint in against him and nothing was really done about it and that's how I ended up at Chelsea fire station uh, because they moved me rather than the perpetrator right. Right. uh but but from my actually colleagues um so when I got to to Hornsey fire station I was the first female to ever be placed at that fire station and certainly the first actually there'd, there'd been a gay guy there before but I was certainly the first lesbian and a few years before there'd been some racist bullying going on someone had his PPE dobbed with um, racist graffiti on it so I, th- I think they were a bit nervous putting me there but with watches I think when once you're placed in a watch, your watch becomes very protective of you. So my watch was very protective of you. For for about a year, the other watches just didn't speak to me. I think they were just very nervous. They'd heard rumours about me for some reason. There was a rumour that I was a journalist and I was doing an expose. I, no idea where that rumour came from. Um, but they just avoided me. But then as I became involved in the union and started to represent firefighters who were facing disciplinary proceedings, mm. then, of course, I was everyone's best friend and everyone wanted to, mm-hmm. to know right. me. Um, but actually, no, on a whole, my experience with my colleagues was was very positive. And, mm-hmm. But then, and I'm not saying it's right, I don't think it is right, but I think with my personality, it would warn off anyone trying to uh, be openly homophobic to me because they know that I'd just tell them to fuck off and call them a cunt. Where someone else who was less <laughs> abrasive than me you know, would be bullied, but you shouldn't have to be as abrasive as me to not be bullied, if that makes sense. But that yeah, that could be an explanation why I I wasn't bullied. But Stonewall yeah. weren't keen on your role in the Fire Brigade Union, were they? No. So the lovely Stonewall, uh, whilst I was still a firefighter, um, and not long after Grenfell. So you know, as as a union rep, I was knees deep as as were other union reps in the fire brigade with dealing with the aftermath of, of Grenfell. Should uh, we explain worth... what Grenfell was to people that don't know? 
Yes, so uh, Grenfell was a fire that happened in a high-rise block uh, in London, in in central London, in in the borough of Kensington in 2017. It killed 72 men, women and children who burned to death in their beds. And the cause of the fire uh, was illegal flammable cladding that they'd placed on the outside of the building to make the building look prettier because the rich people who lived in Kensington didn't like looking at an ugly building. Uh, So they'd covered the building in illegal flammable cladding there was a fire, and 72 men, women and children died. Uh, so that was a huge uh, uh, incident in, in the UK when it happened. So we were very much involved in that as a union, as you can imagine. Also, I was based at Chelsea Fire Station. We, as in the watch at my station, the Red Watch were one of the first uh, on site when that fire happened. So not long after that, I was asked to go on the radio. I think it was Uh, BBC Radio 4 with Justin Webb to talk about uh, all women shortlist. So totally separate from from Grenfell, but somehow they'd gotten my details. Um, I know my colleague Paul Embry had been talking about self-ID and why he didn't agree with it. Um, Lots of people had attacked him from the Pink News, from Stonewall, and they expected me at the time as the LGBT FBU rep to be supportive of them and condemn him. I didn't condemn him, I supported him. So they knew that I had a certain view. So uh, BBC Radio 4 had me on their show to talk about all women shortlists, all women labour shortlists, and if trans women should be included in them. My position was no, they shouldn't. They had a trans woman join uh, the conversation called Emily Brothers. And within two minutes of going live on air, Emily Brothers accused me of being transphobic. And I think at that time, there was a tendency when people were having these conversations in the media, the person in my position would would very quickly back down and be very apologetic Mm. about our, Mm. you know, our position. Was I Mm. didn't, you know, I I very much went on the attack. um, And at at one point you can hear us arguing off mic, but my position was very clear. I'm right, you're wrong, you're an idiot, or worse that effect. (laughs) And this is why self-ID is wrong. And this is why we shouldn't have men on all women shortlist. And then shortly after that, and I didn't find out until some time later, shortly after that, Stonewall uh, emailed the London Fire Brigade and demanded a meeting with them. And I've seen the emails because I did a subject uh, information request. And they emailed, sent emails between each other, which they didn't actually need to provide to me as part of my request. But they're stupid and they did accidentally so the emails between each other at Stonewall were slagging me off accusing me of being a hate preacher oh. I'm assuming that's probably because I've got a Muslim surname yeah 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 um, oh god saying that I saying that I need to be dealt with calling me a nasty bit of work they then emailed the London Fire Brigade demanded a meeting with them and in their words demanded that I be dealt with so Lucy now the meeting was at the time was the fire brigade signed up to Stonewall's protection yes. racket known as the diversity. Yes. Let's get right. Okay. Yes. Yes, they still are. And the irony is, years ago, the London Fire Brigade had stopped their membership. When I became the LGBT rep for the FBU, I lobbied to have them rejoin. <laughs> this was before they took on the team. So right. I lobbied to have them rejoin. Yeah. They did rejoin. Mm-hmm. Um, so so um, they were a member at the time. Now, the meeting between the London Fire Brigade and Stonewall did take place to deal with me. What Stonewall didn't know is I'd actually left the London Fire Brigade a week before the meeting took place. Had nothing to do with their complaint, 
it was to do that I'd just left because I'd gone off and become a barrister. Mm-hmm. So they had their meeting to deal with me. I didn't find out until a good couple of years later when Alison Bailey's case was was rumbling on. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, well, I wonder if given that I've been quite vocal and given that I was working for the London Fire Brigade for a while, I wonder if they tried to do to me what they've done to Alison Bailey. Let me just briefly thought... explain the Alison Bailey case. Sure. So um, Alison, Alison Bailey worked, she, she was also a barrister, worked at a barrister's chambers in London. And because she has perfectly reasonable feminist views on... She's a lesbian whole, as well. She's a lesbian. She's a black lesbian. And she has views about single sex spaces and same sex identity, etc. Just like people actually do um, when they have a brain in their head. And she was also bullied by her chambers and by Stonewall and took a legal case against both of them and which she partially won and she's now appealing the bit that she didn't win but this was a straightforward case of discrimination against a black lesbian in a barrister's chambers led she would argue and her lawyers would argue by Stonewall so they have actually tried to push black lesbians out of their jobs and claim to be representative of and working on behalf of the um, yeah. L bit of the LGBT uh, so-called community. It is unbelievable. Yeah. Although it isn't, it's totally believable given that what you know already about them. So when that was rumbling on, and this was before Alison's case got to court, but we knew it, it was leading up to it because she'd been quite vocal about what was going on. And I think there'd been various crowdfunders. So I thought, yeah, I wonder if they tried to do to me what they did to her. Mm-hmm. Not really thinking too much of it and just did my um, subject information request or subject access information. I, I can't remember what it's called. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's a freedom of information request, but it's for an mm-hmm. individual. Yeah. So, I, so I did that to Stonewall. I did that to London Fire Brigade. Funnily enough, I was at the two-year anniversary of, or the three-year anniversary of, of, of the Grenfell Fire, and it came through on my phone. I was like, I just have a quick look and I was just scrolling through. And I remember calling you, Julie, and going, oh, my fucking God, you will not believe. Because if, there was just these buzzwords just jumping out at me. You know, hate preacher. She's a nasty bit of work. She's this, she's that. We demand a meeting with the preacher. London Fire Brigade. It's just it's yeah. so weird. That's such a weird. Jo- I mean, you're right. that it, it seems like they could have only just be referencing some kind of Muslim connection because it's not the sort of thing that you would say. I think one of the managers kind of emailed everyone in the office to apologise for the fact that they had to read or they they had to hear what I'd been saying on the radio. And then, of course, the emails to the London Fire Brigade demanding a meeting with them to deal with me. Um, I then got the uh, request back from the London Fire Brigade. And I kind of knew, even if I had still been working there at the time, I kind of knew the Fire Brigade wouldn't do anything about me. Because A, they couldn't. I was a senior FBU official. Let them dare and I'll be out the door. Mm-hmm. B, at the time, we had quite a sensible commissioner, Danny Cotton, who I had a good uh, relationship. So, you know, I, I was confident that they would have just faffed off. Mm-hmm. But the point is, the meeting took place. Mm-hmm. And the point is, had I not been a senior or had I not left the fire brigade by then, had I not been a senior FBU official, mm-hmm. I'd just been some female, yeah. black lesbian female working at station with no protection. I could have been in real bother. Yeah, and, disgrace. And it's absolutely outrageous that this organisation that gets a lot of taxpayers' money, government funding, mm-hmm. is coming for women, coming for women like me, <clears throat> like Alison Bailey, yeah. who are just 
hardworking, working class women, lesbians, who are simply saying what everyone else knows, that yes. we don't agree that men can be women, that men should be on all women shortlists, that men can be lesbians. Yeah. And oh, they're trying to... Disgusting. I mean, they are sick. I, I remember a, a, over a decade ago, going up and interviewing Danny Cotton. She was one of the women at this weekend away for female firefighters, where they were talking about the fact that they had to get changed in the back of vehicles, change their tampons in the same bathroom space as the men, that they had no uh, facilities for them because there, there were very few women in the fire service historically, obviously, and that was changing. And so it went from brilliant women in the fire service saying we need to have single sex spaces to those that were demanding single sex spaces away from men that identified as women being branded bigots and the likes of Stonewall trying to push you out of your jobs. How scandalous yeah. is that? It's absolutely scandalous. And I, I have no hesitation in saying that had I been still working at the fire brigade and had Stonewall got their way, mm. they would have had me sacked. They would have destroyed yeah. my livelihood and they would have done it um, happily. They would have yeah. done it with absolutely no hesitation, yeah. as they did with Alison Bailey. Yeah. Um, this is why it's, 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 yeah, it's atrocious. And looking at the dates, they actually went for me before they went for Alison Bailey. So mm -hmm. there, there, there's clearly a, a, a pattern of behaviour here. Well, obviously with me, they didn't get anywhere because I'd already left by then. And who, you know, occasionally I still get the odd email to my chambers moaning about me, not necessarily from Stonewall, but just from yeah. the TRAs in general or people uh, reporting me to the bar. I had someone report me to the bar standards board the other day for, you know, nonsense again. But, you know, mm. it's this, this well, itself, easier this when you're self-employed. This podcast will produce another rain, a set of uh, complaints, no doubt. But um, it just goes to show with Stonewall how drunk on power and unaccountable they were at that point. Mm. Like, because you have to be in a certain mindset to think that oh, that's okay. Like, you don't, as an organisation, a public organisation subject to the charity commission most organizations even if they really disagree with us would not be that bold mm. but they just thought they but could they basically the thought they ran these yeah. institutions they, well yeah. they also, did they did actually yeah, they did but exactly. also no the, the entitlement to do it in the aftermath of the grenfell tower tragedy That's right where they know that the fire brigade obviously there was all the questions about you know to what extent were the fire brigade to blame what they did do what they didn't do what they could have done better they knew that the fire brigade were up to their neck in it they knew that mm. the fire brigade union were up to their neck in it and for them to think actually what's more important is that the fire brigade need to take time out of their day to deal with this mm. person who said something that we don't agree with very mm. good point shall we end on a little bit of light leathering Oh, I love All it. All right, then. Yes, let's. Always. But I was just wondering, uh, looking back at uh, the way that lesbian chic has never really caught on, has it? That the whole kind of, you know, images of, of Miley Cyrus kissing Katy Perry or, you know, various kind of, um, you know, lesbian clinches that you might say are kind of for the male gaze and just for titillation. D d does it offend either of you that sometimes straight women in the public eye use lesbianism as some kind of, I don't know, just gimmick? I mean, Madonna is, is infamous for doing oh, it. Oh, but... right. You mean like straight women just snogging 
yeah, other women like, on on award ceremonies. And yeah, stuff like Rihanna that. and Shakira, and you know, just all of those kind of you know moments. Did where... Rihanna kiss Shakira? She did. <laughs> Somebody, Did you? Uh, yeah, you'll have to look that up. It'll be somewhere <laughs> yeah. on YouTube. Yes, it offends me. It highly offends me. And I'm now <laughs> going to go and look. <laughs> um, I would say it, um, it doesn't offend me. No, it doesn't. It, it's no, it, I wouldn't say it offends me. It offends me if they then claim to be part of my community identity. If they start, you know, oh, I, I kissed a girl and now I'm queer. That, or, that or if me. they say, if they say something like, that was fun. But of course, I could never fancy women. Of course, I'm straight and over egg their heterosexuality as though, well, we don't mind playing at it, but we don't really want to mm. be like you. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say it offends me. I think there's there's far more important. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it doesn't bother me. It amuses me. me. It amuses yeah. me. It also like see also the uh, phenomenon of straight women um, telling you that they're bisexual. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you could get that, but I I in my professional life as an academic um I would like host various women academics for various things and th quite often they would f feel the need to tell me really quite mm. quickly that they were bisexual even yes. though they were married to a man and of course all the rest of it and I just think why are you telling me this but I think they were trying to signal you know something a bit you know they're a bit thrilled by the situation yeah. a bit <laughs> well, I had a, um I've got a friend who, who who told me she was bisexual and she she did tell me that a number of times and then I was I think I was going to an event or something and I was like oh come along come along it's 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 for lesbians and bisexual she was like oh no no I'm not like bisexual bisexual really... <laughs> just bisexual yeah. <laughs> I kind of liked the fact that she was so honest as in oh, yeah I just say I'm bisexual but I'm not really bisexual that's brilliant. Like... but no well... I, I would say it doesn't offend me, I, I must say. It does amuse me, as, as as Kathleen said, but it does offend me if they are then trying mm. to, you know, claim or appropriate part of yeah. our community by being allies yeah. or whatever it is they call well, You know themselves. what I'm like, everything offends me. So, um, mm. but th this has been a very, very good conversation, I think. And I think so well, too. Despite our challenges, of, our many challenges. But yeah, thank you, Lucy. Thanks so much for joining us. You're an absolute Thanks for having me. And let, just leave, I'll leave you with this question. For those that actually um, quite fancy a woman in a uniform, why do they never include traffic wardens in that? <laughs> I just, I mean, I've, I've never got the whole uniform thing. It, it's, <laughs> I've never fancied anyone in a uniform, but my ex-girlfriend did. And she loved, as in my ex-girlfriend with the children, she loved me in the firefighter uniform. Mm, and then when she? I was with her, I stopped becoming a firefighter and became a barrister. And she broke up with me in about two <laughs> oh, months. Oh, no. <laughs> I've got we a story. Barrister's good that, too. I've got a story about a barrister's uniform, which would shock everyone to their core, but not for this week. Oh. Maybe next week. <laughs> we have to keep a spreadsheet of all the things you keep trailing that we never say. But yeah, I'm going to hold you to that one. Okay. I was thinking Salvation Army. Does that? Um, <laughs> yeah, not just traffic wardens then okay anyway lovely to talk to you both lovely to see yeah. you again and lucy thank you for being just a fantastic guest cheers lucy for have a me. good week everybody bye bye bye, bye. bye.